you know what I love about this sound is actually you. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. Hello everyone, welcome along to another edition of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. Uh, again, it's uh, in the international break, so we're missing a couple of our team members. Uh, well, they're not on international duty, but they are uh, away from the studio this week. Uh, so it's just myself, Kev, regular host, and I'm alongside the Lutonian journalist, James Cunliffe. And you are watching or listening to the first monthly review or recap podcast of the season. We're doing individual match podcasts but we are still going to do the um, podcast each month like we have done for the first six seasons and um well this is the first one of them james yeah it's coming thick and fast as they say i never understand what that means in football but we say it don't we we do indeed and they are yep Uh, we're using this international break to catch up with everything actually so uh Yep, the uh, well, the only Luton Town podcast that's gone from League Two to the Premier League will be coming at you, as James says, thick and fast uh, over the next couple of weeks. I'll, I'll be the thick one, <laughs> uh, and I'm not the fast one, so uh, I don't know where we're getting uh, too, too thick. Oh, is yeah, yeah, definitely. There's no definitely no speed around here. That is um, that is for sure. One thing that was quite speedy, though, James, was the work that we did in our transfer window. Um, obviously, the window shut a few hours after the West Ham game. 12 players made it in. We've discussed an awful lot of those in previous podcasts, um, but two that we haven't discussed that came in very, very late in the piece. It was Ted and Mengi, uh, centre-back from Manchester United, and Albert Sambi Lokonga, defensive midfield player from Arsenal. Uh, two very good additions in areas where I think it's fair to say we needed to ramp up particularly after those first two games, it was evident that we needed competition and stronger competition and depth in those areas. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they come with good pedigree as well, particularly Lukonga. Um, you know, he hasn't had, he had to go on loan to Crystal Palace in the second half of last season, but in total he's played probably a season's worth of Premier League football, made a season's worth of Premier League appearances. That's a lot, lot more than many of the Luton Town players have come up. So it's going to be a great bit of um, experience to add into that um, defensive midfield position is what we expect him to be playing in. And I thought uh, it would be a sort of competition for marvellous Nakamba, but um, in the two times that I've been in the room when we've done press conferences with uh, Rob Edwards, he's talked about this double pivot situation um, so playing the two of them just in front of the midfield, which I would imagine would be something like a four-two-three-one. That right? I've got my mess right there. You do, <laughs> yeah. I did. Um, so that would be interesting because that's something that we've not particularly seen much before, much of before, and it will give um, the defence obviously some cover, but maybe it also gives the likes of Barkley. Ross Barkley more freedom to be more attacking and further up the pitch, which is where we probably want to see him. That's what, that's where he's best at. Oh yeah, I don't want to see him picking the ball up on the edge of our box. I mean, what's he going to do? Do there? You know, yes, he carries the ball really, really well, Ross Barkley, but I want him influencing the game at the other end of the pitch. 
Exactly. That's what we brought him in for, uh, I think. And, you know, he got in two very good positions against um, West Ham and wasn't composed enough to finish them. One of them was a great chance on the edge of the box and he just scuffed it, didn't he? But Trying too hard. First home game. Yeah, yeah potentially. Prove, perhaps, potentially. On television. Yeah, potentially. He's not quite up to speed and snatched it. Uh, but... It's that old adage, isn't it? If you're getting in those positions in the first place, to do that, then um, that, that's going to be key. You, he'll stick some of those away. Um, but yeah, that that I think will be a positive for, for Luton um, to almost, you know, in the West Ham preview podcast, we talked about how Sheffield United did a really good number on Man City. Yeah, they lost, but they really blocked out the centre of the park and made City go wide. And I think that might have that effect. Any normal circumstance, you think that's a good plan because the central defenders will get their head on it and get it away. And I still think that's probably law of averages, what what you're hoping from that. But yeah, I think it's a really good addition. Um, yeah, so if they play that double, we'll be interested to see. Yeah, well, we'll come on to the formation change shortly because uh, Neil approached us on social media to talk about it in depth. Um, but before we do, Ted and Mengi, we don't know an awful lot about him. We do know that he was on loan at Derby and on loan at Birmingham. I mean, every Manchester United player seems to go on loan to Birmingham. Um, <laughs> obviously, Chong was there um, as well. But he's young, pacey, good on the ball, apparently, aggressive. This is in his own words of his first interview that he did, so I've no reason to disbelieve him. And my understanding is left-footed, which could be the most important part of all of it. Yeah, I've um, yeah, been searching for one of those for two seasons. Yeah, they? it looks like a really, really shrewd addition. And to, and to get him in as a permanent transfer so that we could still have that loan spot available for Lukonga, another really kind of key piece of business. Yeah, it, it looks that way. Um, he, he looks... Well, he from his interview anyway, when he did with the, with the club, he looks like he's pretty hungry to get out there and, and make it. And you know, from a from a far away vantage point, if you're seeing Manchester United pack their midfield with Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire, he doesn't much get a look in these days. As he, you've got to go somewhere else to get your football because that's just ridiculous. <laughs> One of them's ridiculously old and the other one's Harry Maguire. So, <laughs> um, you know, he, he's been at that club since he was six as well. So he's he's looking at this as a very, I like the way he talked about it. You know, he's been at the club since he was six. He's only ever lived in Manchester. He's absolutely buzzing to try his chances elsewhere and a different way of life. And I think that's the, the way you've got to look at it. He signed permanently as well. So it's an absolutely great steal as well. It's It fits this model that we've talked about so often. Young and hungry. But he's also got something to prove because of not getting that shot really against in, in the Man United defence, um, particularly at the moment. So hopefully he's Luton's gain and Manchester United's loss. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I really liked the way he was talking. He kind of seemed like he had older head on his shoulders compared to his years. And obviously, you know, it must be so hard to leave Man United anyway. Man United, it's an institution. Well, you know, everyone's laughing at what they're doing at the moment, but it's still an institution. If you've been there for 15 years and and obviously 
you're from there as well. It, it's a hard decision, so fair play to him, and I hope he's rewarded um, for that decision, and I hope his inclusion uh, assists us going forward. Um, well, you know, I mean, the way that injuries are going at the moment, he'll probably get thrust into the action anyway, won't he? Yeah, he will. I would imagine they'll do some sort of friendly, won't they, during the international break, be it against each other or find someone who's not got a game from the championship or something behind closed doors and, uh, you know, get get him some game time because obviously, much like Ross Barkley, he's going to have to get up to speed having not done too much in the way of pre-season. But um, two good signings there and another one that we're yet to discuss properly on the podcast, Tim Krull, uh, coming from Norwich, another permanent sign-in. Lots of people expected him to go straight in as the number one goalkeeper. He didn't. He played against Gillingham in the Cup. Thomas Kaminsky might have kind of had the door just left ajar after um, the West Ham game, and it'll be interesting to see who's between the sticks at Fulham. Yeah, but you don't tend to see that much chopping and changing with, with goalkeepers. I mean, I, I asked Rob Edwards the question of whether he signed a one and two, and knowing that the answer would be no, it's we've brought them in to compete with each other and stuff. I think if you're Kaminsky who's got the shirt, you'll be looking to keep that. Tim Kroll's undoubted experience uh, and qualities international and stuff like that, but he wasn't getting in the side, in the, Nor- in the Norwich side, who aren't pulling up trees um, in the championship. So I'd be very surprised if it swaps around because it's a confidence thing as well, isn't it? If you think about um, the last sort of big time that mistakes have cost the Luton goalkeeper their position. You're looking at maybe Simon Sluger. And it wasn't the one game, was it? It was a series until it got to that derby game when you know a, a real gaff was the final straw, really. So I'd be surprised if if it, it goes the other way and, and Fulham, we have Tim Krull in goal. But he's a great backup. He's the experience that Luton were looking for, the entire summer because the, the goalkeeping situation was an absolute saga wasn't it the amount of um, players that we know were not only linked had bids put in some of them accepted the likes of um, Alex Palmer and John Ruddy didn't want to come well fair play you stay where you are stay in the championship you don't want to come um, that's not the type of player we want to see there Um but Tim Krull seemed very positive about it as well in, in, in the similar way that Ted and Mengi was in, in coming to Luton and that's what he want really, that's what fans want. Yeah, two international goalkeepers and uh, you can't ask for any more than that and, and fair play to the town, they um, bided their time. They didn't just take anyone. Yes, they would have taken Palmer because we obviously had him on loan um, beforehand but we weren't going to be held to ransom and things like that and eventually we got... Perfectly capable goalkeeper. Uh, whenever a transfer window closes, James, players leave. And one player that we have to recognise in particular that's left the club, not just because of his exploits on the pitch, which were fantastic, yeah, a massive part of the League Two promotion campaign, very instrumental in the League One campaign and also keeping us in the championship in the Great Escape, but also the most diamond bloke off the pitch you could possibly ever um, meet and that's Glenn Ray uh, service to this football club fantastic and um, whatever Glenn goes on to do 
uh, we wish him the very best of luck and look forward to seeing him in the in home and away ends following Luton in the Premier League all season because as I say absolute diamond geezer yeah I mean a little a little bit of me died when you hear those yeah. sorts of things Do you know what I mean I mean nothing that I'm going to not recover from but you know when it was announced on the Sunday I mean, we all knew it was coming, didn't yeah, we? He, he didn't get a squad number yeah. and, you know, he obviously hasn't been on the journey for the last couple of seasons. But when it when it's actually there in writing, it it does, doesn't it? It leaves a little sort of yeah. lump in the throat sort of thing, particularly when they're good blokes as well. Yeah, and that, that side that he came up in, the League 2, League 1, and then the Great Escape side, such great memories really it's, a, it's it's not just Glenn Ray as well it's the same for all of them so when Danny Hilton left and we knew it was coming but it was so disappointing and it would be the same for when Luke Berry goes Sunny in the but summer as well yeah same thing yeah we, we all knew it was coming with them with Sunny because he hadn't he hadn't played we announced it beforehand as well so we, we knew it was coming but yeah there's there's something about a side that does so well that you have such an affinity for that when it starts to get broken up a little bit, a little bit of you goes with it. Um, and uh, Glenn was an absolute proper geezer, a great interview, top lad, genuine as hell. Um, you know, Luton fans obviously would have noticed him in the crowds and stuff like that. And he said he'll come back and keep doing that because he loves the club. And yeah, I believe him. He's, he's one of those um, players. And it's it's sort of this, it's this lower league connection, I think, where... You had, to, especially for Luton at that time, you had to buy into Luton and had to get the ethos of the club and and love the club, and that squad did. And when you get to like the Premier League, I can see where people are coming from when they 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 talk they talk about ten uh, to twelve new signings and the end when they come in that they won't get it and stuff. And it is a job to bed those players and gel them in because they're going to be in a side that for success is measured on whether you can finish one place above the relegation zone. It's not the same as in League Two where you're going for promotions and, you know, blasting teams out of the way in that uh, in, in that season when James Collins came in. And it's, uh, it's a difficult one to sort of wrap your head around because it's so different in the Premier League. It really is. And um, that that squad that Glenn was in, will never not be held in such high esteem and, and fondness. So when a player like him goes, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad day. Yeah, none of this is possible without the efforts of Glenn Ray and many others that James has just mentioned. And um, yeah, when those players do leave, they, they absolutely should be recognised for all their achievements and efforts at the club. We also wish Matt Macy the best, whatever comes his way in the future. That just, it just didn't work out here. Um two spells and he didn't hit the ground running in either of them and the writing was on the wall pretty early and also Luke Freeman who to be fair did play a big part in getting the club into the Premier League he was paid off a little earlier uh, in the transfer window and we wish the best to uh, Louis Watson to Dion Pereira to Aidan Francis Clark who've gone out on loan for the season at various clubs uh, in League One to and the conference I think I think with them um with the exception of Aidan and Francis Clark, who's um, is one for the future, you, you can see that those loan moves will probably be permanent somewhere, if not the clubs that are at now. Because, and we've had it 
for so many seasons in this last decade, the club's moved on too quickly for those players. Um, and John McAtee would be another one to go into that list as well. I knew I was going to forget someone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you're a Premier League club um, and the players that you loan out are going into League Two or say like Peppel's gone to Bromley with non-league and stuff like that, you, you, it's hard to see a route for them to be a Premier League player if Luton can stay there. Yeah, you're in the shop window, aren't you, really? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I hope they do really well um, and they can force something. But, for the, you know, for the likes of Pereira, I've been talking about it for a long time. And now when Luton are signing the likes of Ross Barkley and Ryan Giles as the um, £5 million man, I think his it's sort of chances are probably numbered there. Yeah, I would agree with that. All in all, though... Luton always looked to be stronger at the end of a transfer window than the start of it, and it's impossible to argue that that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's all on paper at the moment, isn't it? Because not all of them have, have played, or it's been a very difficult start, um, and it's early in the season. But you know, on the face of it, yes, they've they've strengthened pretty much everywhere. Perhaps I think people were looking for another striker to come in. I know there was one... On transfer deadline day, wasn't they? They were looking at it. It was rumoured, and that didn't quite come off. Um, so, yeah, I know we're going to. I know we're going to talk about him, but you know we haven't seen a lot of Jacob Brown. But what we have seen is fairly good. So maybe, maybe that you don't need that, and maybe if the formation change comes about with the double pivot, then the attacking midfielders come into play more, more, and you know, there's different ways to skin a cat in there. There is. Yep, and uh, in terms of the attackers, I know people did want another attacker, uh, but just keep your eye on Corley Woodrow. He's uh, bubbling and um, he's going to break out soon. I'm absolutely certain of that. It, every time we do a monthly podcast, James, we always do some player focuses. So let's do our first two of the season. We're going to focus on a couple of new signings. Uh, James just mentioned we're going to talk about Jacob Brown. We'll do that shortly because social media has already told the world that Ryan Giles isn't good enough. For Luton, and social media isn't always right. In fact, most of the time it's wrong. Uh, are they right on this occasion or are they wrong on this occasion? And I know you're going to back it up with stats and everything there, but is he not good enough or supposedly perceived as not good enough because he's replaced Alfie Doughty, who was pretty good in that position? Yeah, it's a tricky one because of the fact that it's only three games in um, and... Like we said when he was signed, there's no chance you spend £5 million on him he doesn't start. I do think it was harsh on Alfie Doughty because, um, you know, towards the end of the season, he was a top-class performer uh, to get Luton up. And then he comes in for the Gillingham game, played really well, I thought. Scored an absolute even, even if you take out that goal, which, oh my God, uh, ripped the net open. I thought he played really well. Some uh, was on the ball a lot and showed a lot of good touches. Um, and sort of forced his way back in um, and obviously playing on the right as well so that that's not a bad option uh, if needed but um, Giles though yes it's been difficult for him I think because so the big question mark when he arrived was his defensive skills I don't mm. think anyone had any issues with his attacking skills when he was at Middlesbrough last season he set up the third most chances in the championship bearing in mind he played left back not wing back for um, Middlesbrough obviously a lot of that's attributed to the fact that he takes set pieces and things like that 
have you seen enough from him going forward, first of all, that he can continue that form with us? When he gets the ball and he's given the space to whip a ball in, they look dangerous. At the minute, the, the connection between the forwards hasn't been established to the point where you're thinking it was a couple of times when you'd expect uh, Elijah to be on the end of those uh, and he wasn't really sniffing in the right area. So there's there's stuff to work on there and some um, synchronicity <laughs> to be uh, gained from, from that. I mean, he's, you know, crosswise, he's whipped in the 31, uh, 31% of his crosses are accurate. And you're looking for that to be a lot higher. Yeah, I hate that statistic, though, because that makes it sound like 70% of his crosses have been shit. But it might just be that a defender's got that they're ahead of the striker. Yeah, and this is the point with stats, isn't it? Because, um, you know, you could say Kurzuma's had a million touches, and he did, but the, uh, only yeah. one, of, one of them counted. I always <laughs> make out possessions the most overrated yeah. statistic in the world. A- absolutely, absolutely. But um, so he, he's had 32 crosses, so 31 of those percent perceived as being accurate. Um, it'd be nice to measure that against the top crosses in the league, the supposed top crosses. I don't think there's much of it in the in the Premier League. Really. There's a lot of pretty play that tries to play pretty patterns around stuff like that. So, you know, if you can get it right, then it's a, it's a unique weapon, I think. But um, The one thing I'd say about him going forward is I've not, I've not noticed a midfielder have to hold the ball while he gets forward. He's, he's, he's automatically there, isn't he? You know, the chance that he had at Chelsea where the ball went across the centre of the pitch, there he was. It wasn't like Elijah had to hold on to the ball for X amount of time and risk being tackled, it was straight on to Giles, who got the shot away. Okay, got blocked and got saved, but he's there, isn't he? It's, it's you know he's not. We're not having to hold on while he zips up up the line and things like that. So from the attacking point of view, he is in the positions. We now just need the connection from him. Yeah, he is, and he's undoubtedly he's quality on the ball. I mean, we saw that in his first game in the preseason. It was the Molyneux the the cross that he put in for Elijah that was disallowed wonderful cross and you give him the space to do that and he will <laughs> West Ham didn't really give him the space for it and he didn't seem confident enough that he could take the man on so then it was this, this whole outlook attacking wise was kind of nullified um, but defence obviously there's, there's there's question marks for the first goal Um and, and something you said to me off mic before we, we started was interesting me, to me because I hadn't seen it that way. So it's good to see a different perspective because for me, he didn't do enough in that um, Bowen goal, but you saw it differently. Yeah, it's not necessarily that I saw it differently. It's just um, with three up front against three centre-backs, you know, I would imagine that your middle centre-backs taking the one lone striker and the two wider centre-backs taking the supposed inverted wingers is what they're called these days, isn't they? In which case it would be Amari Bell. Uh, I think back to the the first goal that Brian scored, it was almost a carbon copy, albeit it was an in-swinging cross rather than an out-swinging one. A lot of people blame Jars for that, but again, you look at the statistics and the goal went against Amari Bell who got under the ball rather than following the run of Sunny March. So I suppose if you're matching up, then you and you've got three centre halves. The outside ones have got a. The, the, there are only wingers to take, aren't there? So, from that point of view, I, I can see why 
it's not gone against Giles, but you would still want Giles to come across and, and at least nudge him so that he doesn't get a clean header or something along those lines. But ultimately, I, I can't remember where Kufau was, the right back, who would actually definitely be Giles' man. If he was kind of there as well, then Giles is kind of torn between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? So I, I still think we got he's, he's got defensive improvement in him, but I can see why it's not gone against him. Well, here's the good news then, stat-wise, because defensively, he's 100% are on tackles. There you go, you see. But he's only made three, so... But, but what three tackles they've been? Well, well, there you go. That's why, I mean, you know, stats-wise, stats-wise, genuine, generally, you can make them seem better or worse to your own desires. But after three games, it's probably... Um, yeah, a little too early. If it's a little too early to look at the league table, it's a little too early to look at individual stats like that. But you know, yeah, I, I, I don't I, even think glaring. I, think. I would agree with that. I, I also think expectation of him is going to be sky high because he's our club record sign-in and, you know, you want um, maximum output at both ends of the pitch. Um, someone who's given us good output at the top end of the pitch is Jacob Brown. He's our second player focus this month. And, um, well, he's really hit the ground running, actually. He... Uh, I wouldn't say, well, yeah, actually, I thought it did change the game when he came on at Brighton. Obviously, it was his cross that supposedly got handled for the penalty and he uh, he almost scored with a volley, scored the opening goal against Gillingham, which was a lovely finish. Uh, should have scored against Chelsea with the lob. And, and even on Friday night when he came on, he was getting into positions to receive the ball in dangerous areas against a side who probably by that point, uh, you know, set their stall out just to keep a clean sheet and... Um, win the game 1-0 as it turned out obviously we know they went on and got a second one but I like what I see from Brown he's, he's got pace he looks like he's got good movement and he looks a good addition to the side to the squad sorry he does he does and um, you know the most we've seen of him obviously is the Gillian game when he started and I think somebody says and I'm not not checked this back but he scored with his first touch which is not which is you know pretty perceivable because it was well inside the two-minute mark when he scored. But when he took it, one touch bang, and it was a rocket that was unstoppable. So that's a good sign. He got off his he got his Kenworth Road career off to such a, a great start, but he was a threat. You know, albeit it's Gillingham, no disrespect to Gillingham, um, but they, they rarely caused a threat in that first half, and it went a bit bonkers in the second, but... Um, Luton, Luton were well in control when he was, you know, doing all the things you'd like to see from him in terms of trying to win favour for from Edwards to get into that starting Premier League side, which I think will come. Um, you know, the longer that Morrison had a bio go without a goal, and hopefully no, no more long, no longer, please. Um, but when he comes on in the Premier League, he. It, I haven't got the stats to back that up. It's more of a feeling, but it feels like there's more of a threat. And it could be for a number of reasons, couldn't it? it could be because he cut the, the time that he comes on. Tiring defence. Tiring, yeah. and, and he can go full throttle at them. could be that. Uh, but it could could be just that he's a very good player in, in the making. And, and, well, we hope it's that one, don't we? Yeah, we do. Um, yeah, I like what I've seen from him. I really do. Like you say, the one thing you want when you from a player who's coming off the bench is 100% straight into it change the game and he did at Brighton 
and um, and he played really well against Chile. He can't be doing any more, but I can understand why Rob's keeping with Carlton and Eli because they're a threat uh, through the middle. That is assuming that we don't change formation, which we will come on to very shortly. But before we do, we kind of touched on this in the West Ham Review podcast, but what have you learned watching Premier League like right up close now? For well, one game for you, you weren't you were unable to go to the first two. But what what what's the sort of striking difference between the Championship and the Premier League? Um, you don't get the ball back quickly. Well, you, you do, but it's in the back of your net <laughs> when you do get it. Yeah. When you lose it, which is why um, it's, it's paramount for for Luton to try and use that possession effectively. Which is why these two sixes are going to be playing from now on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know that. It's such a big thing as well, because if you're chasing around after the ball for a significant portion of the game, then you're not going to be doing what we want them to be doing, which is scoring goals. You know, that being said, having having possession didn't really, wasn't really a thing for Luton in the Championship last season. And, um, you know, there's obviously examples of that Leicester title winning season being being the key, the, the, the pinnacle of that, that they didn't need it and they won the Premier League. But... We're not talking about Luton winning the Premier League here. Um, we'll save that for next season. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it's that that opposition teams are able to look after the ball so much better. But the, the three teams Luton have played, you know, with the exception of Man City, um, Liverpool, maybe Tottenham the way they're going at the moment. Um, yeah, maybe Man United, I know, they're in one of those seasons, I think. You know, with the exception of those teams, the three that we've played so far, we, we expect them to have that much more of the ball. Less so maybe West Ham than the other two because of the way that they've been playing, which they haven't really required much of the ball to be very dangerous this season. And so unfortunately it proved against Luton as well, even though they had the the lion's share of the possession. I think Luton's was around about the 37% mark. So... Some have got to try and wrestle that away as well, because also the longer opposition teams have the ball, the longer the likes of Paqueta are going to be able to pick out a Jared Bowen at the back stick like that. Can't give them that sort of time and space, really. Um, we all know that running after the ball is it's tiring, isn't it? So there's that, but it's it's the it's the speed of the players. I would say that when if you look at the West Ham game in particular, when they got into tight spots in their own half, they were very, it was it was kind of, it's simple stuff, but it's difficult to execute. It's these little triangles to get out of trouble and keep possession. Whereas Luton was a bit like, let's whack it up, <laughs> up the pitch and the, let's get it away from the goal and see, uh, see what we can make of it then. Um, so there's that stuff as well. Um, but obviously the the main key one is that, bloody hell, these teams have been clinical, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I don't think that's any different, though. I think at every level, the teams that are at the top are the, the ones that are clinical. It's just, you know, obviously the further up you go, the better, uh, the more eye-catching that it is. The key one is the pos- not not so much possession, it's the protection of the ball, isn't it? 
when you're in good areas, because you're not going to get into good areas very often, certainly against the teams that we've played. It might change when we play the Evertons and the Sheffield Uniteds and the Burnleys of this world. But we want to be able to compete with the West Ham. We want to be able to compete with Fulham in a couple of weeks' time. And when we get into these areas, we need to protect the ball so much better. I, I love Jong, I really do. But there was a few times against West Ham, he invited the player to come and take the ball off him. As soon as you've sent that invitation out, you know, they're at the party and they're, you know, they're having it on their toes. And then you're chasing again. You kind of got yourself into a good position whereby you're about to create that chance. And then the next thing you know, your goalkeeper's getting worked. And that's the thing we've got to learn. We've got to learn quick. And I think we are learning it. And I think the team will learn. Bearing in mind, you know, we're still eight players who've playing Premier League football for the first time. Okay, that will change after the international break with the Lekonga coming in as well. But, it, you know, it is a work in progress. But that's the one thing that we have to get up to speed very, very quickly. Protection of the ball, particularly when we've got it in promising areas, is massive because teams will go hunting it and when they get it, boom, they're on they're on that year. And as we saw from Brighton, two of their goals were from counter-attacks from our moves and... That's the devastation of this league. That's the speed that you talk about. And that's the one thing that we need We need to get up to speed very, very quickly. Yeah, there's also the, the element of the counter-attacking that Brighton did in the first game um, and the speed of which Chelsea played, I think, also sort of dampens this um, argument that Luton need to be themselves <laughs> uh, because we do want that. But you've got to be wary of how quick that transition can happen. And it's lightning and, you know, West Ham didn't really have a sniff until they scored a goal. And that, that's the sort of difference that we're noticing as well. I think um, one of the other ones as well is, um, and maybe this is um, uh, unique to West Ham with that being fresh in my mind, but the physicality um, of Zuma, for example, Morris wasn't, in the game, really, they couldn't get a foothold against him, um, and you know he was a big guy as well. I've not seen him up close before. He's a very big guy, and he did the he did the basics well, really. Um, uh, so, you know, Morris and Adebayo bullied a lot of centre halves in the championship, and at the minute, it sort of remains to be seen whether that can happen. Um, Albeit their service does need to be an awful lot better to them, doesn't it? I would think of uh, every time Ariola had the ball, sent it up to Antonio, it was at his chest mm. or it was at his feet. Whereas every time Kaminsky had it, Morris had to chase 10 or 15 yards and then launch himself in the air and hope that he won the flick on. There was none of that. Antonio had Anderson behind him. There was no way Anderson was getting the ball in front of him. Runners were coming off him because they knew he was going to protect it. And all of a sudden, boom, it's like the Alamo and it's like... That's the difference. Those pinpoint passes, they're not just going to the player. They're going to the player for the next movement to happen just like that, just like that, just like that. Whereas at the moment, we're still chasing those 10, 15 yard. They call them lost causes, but we've never done that. Mm. We just need to be so much more in control of the play than, than that. We really do. Yeah. And it's it's use of the ball, isn't it, really? Um, you know, but we've seen we've seen progression from that first game and it wasn't a 4-1 battering you know the game got away from him in the last 10 minutes really um, with you know with added time that is the, the 10 minutes so 
And really, if you want to look at the numbers of it, the score lines of it, anyway, it's been 4-1, 3-0, We'll have a 1-1 one, one next time and then it's, we can win all the rest of the games. Well, that's uh, Wolves and Everton. So they're the ones to... Uh to to win absolutely the the main thing is though yes there's lots to learn but there's always going to be lots to learn but we're learning we are learning we are getting better we'll do it quickly we've got two weeks now to assess everything there's no panic there's no sort of um rushing around and anything like that and they'll do it and um then when, once we get a result and we see the fruits of our labors it will it will work i think one of the things that's going to help james and as I said at the start of the podcast, um, Neil messaged us on social media to ask us about this. One of the things that will change is the formation. The one thing I've noticed, all three teams we've played so far, 4-3-3. No 5-3-2, no, none of that. And I've watched a few of the other teams actually in the league. There ain't many. Sheffield United play, but they've come up with us. There ain't many established Premier League teams who are bothering with three centre-halves. They have three where they're going to impact the game right at the other end of the pitch. Now, I've always thought for a long time that we were meant to play 4-3-3, but the injuries to Sonny and to get into um, a couple of the other centre-backs right at the start of the first playoff season in the Championship meant that Cal Naismith and Gabe Osho had to start at centre-half, didn't it? And uh, Nathan, they played so well, Nathan just didn't drop either of them, which is fair enough. You don't drop players in form. But I'm convinced we were recruited that season with the likes of Fred, Carlos Mendes, Gomez and one or two others to play 4-3-3 that season. I think we're recruiting that way now as well. Jacob Brown, Chio Adosi, Sambi Laconga to come along and join. I would not be surprised if we line up at Fulham with four at the back, three in midfield and three up front. And I think we'd look an awful lot better for it. Now, it's harsh on whichever one of the two strikers doesn't make it. But whichever one doesn't, it's coming off the bench after the first one's busted balls for 65 minutes. So it's not a bad position to be in. Mm. But I just think the way we've recruited, we've, we've recruited to go the way that most of these Premier League teams do, whether it's 4-3-3 or whether it's 4-2-3-1 or 4-1-4-1 or something like that, I think we're slowly transitioning from five at the back now. Yeah, well, I wouldn't disagree with you, really. Um, I think you've got to have... The- a couple of different ways to do it really and you can't we're a long way from the league to uh, diamond formation of we're going to play that and you're not going to stop us oh yeah that's yeah those days are long gone aren't they <laughs> yeah but also when you look at where all the goals come from they come from inside those channels inside the wide centre back to the full back whether it's the cross from there or the player who's scoring in between you know the Bowens the Sunny Marches he didn't score against us but the Matomas of this world Sterling They've all come from down those those kind of lanes. So if you're playing four at the back, those lanes don't exist no more because you've got two there, two there. It, it just seems a natural progression to me. And the fact that we went all out to sign a defensive midfielder because it was going to be Isaac Hayden, wasn't it? Rob was kind of polite to why he didn't sign and I won't repeat it here, but it's, it's ended up being Lakonga. It's clear to me that I think the days of five at the back are going, if not gone. Yeah, I, I think so. Also in the sense of, you know, on the face of it, you might look at it and say, well, Luton need the defensive stability of that. But when you get the ball back, and we've just spoken about using it effectively, you li- your numbers are, and your options are limited because 
there's so many players in those defensive positions. And I think that's a lesson to be learned. It's interesting to hear you say that. I hadn't sort of studied the formations of the other teams, but if they're all playing that 4-3-3, um, then, you know, maybe that's the way to go. It goes in these cycles and the way the way teams play and often it's whatever Man City had done or something and you play with a false nine or something like that. But generally, most 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 teams can't get away without playing a striker. Um, and you've got to go with the one that you think is probably going to get you the most goals. And, well, it's going to be Morris, isn't it? That's who's going to be uh, up front. I don't think that um, Elijah's disgraced himself in any way, but he's not really had a sniff. He had one swipe at it in, against West Ham, didn't he? And he was off balance. It was a decent position, decent chance, but um, yeah, that was not, not even troubling. Yeah, I don't people. think Elijah's the kind of Antonio hold the ball on his chest kind of striker, which would be the way that this formation works. You play into your striker. Very similar to the goal at Brighton, actually, where we played into Morris. He flicked it around the corner for Brown cross back to Morris okay Dunk's arm supposedly got in the way but that was per- that was exactly what Brighton were doing to us it's exactly what West Ham did to us with Antonio so it's there but and, and this is no slant on our defence whatsoever but ultimately if a if a team's playing 4-3-3 with one central striker and we're playing three centre-backs two of them are twiddling their thumbs or they're getting pulled out so you may as well just match them up and just go go in that direction a lot of the time that one of the they call them sixes don't they you've called them pivots in this podcast drops in as the yeah. third center half i'd anyway. go with i'd go with sixes normally but that seems to be the modern vernacular <laughs> yeah end. but one of them drops in to make the three center halves when you're attacking anyway doesn't it so yeah. kind of still going to have the three there it's just not going to be three central defenders yeah i mean when you when you put it like in those terms and it, it does seem that that will be the preferred way that Edwards wants to play since the two times he's mentioned it we've not we've not pressed him on that and usually if they just come out with it that's a sign of what might be happening um so if you play with those two defensive midfielders let's call them that that's, that's proper <laughs> I, I hadn't really heard the word pivot too often before he said it to be honest um we haven't had it in the, the Luton we haven't had to talk about it in Luton sense that that's for sure but um yeah, and one of them can drop back, and then you've got that extra man. It's it seems like that will be the way to go. Um, but if you know, if if marvelous played like he did against West Ham, he was going to sort of get back to where he was. I think it was his best game for Luton. Um, he was picking out some good passes as well. So those quarterback passes where he's sort of spraying them out to the wings, and that's what we need. That's what you need to get Giles on the ball and stuff like that. And um, Certainly, um, Ogbeni, when he does come on, it, he looks positive and bright. Um, and he, he probably will play that impact role for a little while. But all the time he does and he's got that pace, then you've got to, you've got to try and use those 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 things really differently. So um, it'd be an interesting one to, to see it change because, yeah, for a lot of the a lot of the last 10 years, I don't think we really had to bother about what formations are going to play. It's going to be interesting to work it out, it's game and something to really look at because, you know, 
you know, League One to League Two, it was definitely we're the best team. <laughs> Try and stop us. Yeah, I mean, certainly away from home, the gap between the strikers and the midfield is just too big, and that's where all these pivots and sixes lie, and they, they just pick you apart. Your Fernandes, your Casidos, your you know, your Bozlais, yeah. Rodri's of this world you know so yeah I, it, to answer your question Neil I very much expect uh, a change change in formation as this season goes on whether it's for Fulham I guess that depends on uh, the work of the training ground and um, maybe injuries as well yeah, yeah who's fit and everything else whether Lekonga's good to go for 90 minutes straight away because I would imagine we can't change too much until he's fit to go um, from the start and also it'd be interesting who gets those wide berths if and when we do because you don't have to sacrifice defensive propositions you could easily play Giles down the left hand side ahead of Doughty for example so you could still you could still have uh, a fair amount of defensive cover on the pitch um I mean that might even be a decent option while Giles beds himself into the team so he's not relying on being the defensive or, or playing the defensive role when he can focus more on that attack, I wouldn't be against that, to be honest. No, and I think if you think back to the Mike Newell time, you had Sol Davis and Paul Underwood down that side, very much in keeping with um, with that as well. So that would potentially be another option. Um, the good thing is that the boss has got options. If he didn't have options, it would be in even more trouble. Um, so yeah, he's got options, and we'll see how we go against Fulham. But yeah, me personally, I expect us at some point this season to be transitioning to a back four Um whether that's straight away or like we said, we need a few more players fit first uh, remains to be seen. Let's finish this podcast very quickly, James, with a thank you to the community. If you, you I mean, you've been in the Bobber stand. I've walked around it twice to get to where I uh, go because I park at the other end of the ground. They must have put up with so much shit around um, that area of Kenilworth Road um, whilst it was all getting built. And to not kick up a fuss, and, you know, fair play to them. And they got rewarded, didn't they, the community members, by getting a freebie for the test event against Gillingham. Fully deserved. And, uh, yeah, we just say a massive, massive thank you to everyone who's um, been put out of their daily lives. But, you know, appreciate that the club's in the posi- position that it's in and not kicked up too much of a fuss. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think they would. Um, you know, I did a... A day or two with um, Save Our Town back in the early days of campaign to against that lot from the Arndale, who've thankfully buggered off now. <laughs> um, we went into Berry Park, and the whole community were really understanding and supportive of the project. Um, and that's even with the fact that the the, the stadium is obviously going to move from that area. I mean, they're going to be able to regenerate that space. It's already just owned by the council and stuff, so it will it'd be a benefit to that community, but they were um, understanding of that situation. Their understanding of Luton's situation. Um, they've been very supportive of the success that's happened over the last 10 years, most notably recently, obviously the, the Sunderland game and then the parade where it took them <laughs> three times longer to get out of Berry Park because of such joyous celebrations, wonderful stuff. Um, and then those... Um, houses have lived with that since that if they've been there however long they've been there they've lived with the stadium wall being right up against their garden and stuff like that they've lived with opposition fans going singing you know we can see you in the bath and that sort of thing but I imagine it's not because it's not every day it's not like you've got nuisance neighbours that are playing music till three o'clock in the morning it's, like that. it's just once every two weeks 
for a couple of hours, you get this thing. I imagine, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I imagine it's more like a novelty factor of it. And it's, it's nice. I mean, eventually it's going to go and they know that. Um, and also some of the, the houses on that side, where the bobbers have been built, they've, they've, the club are doing up their gardens as well, which is nice. That is a nice touch. You have to, um, you know, give it to the clubs that they've really always are sort of in step with that community and, and have those links and the amount of foreign journalists or um, <laughs> any journalists outside of uh, Luton who don't really know the club that ask about what's the relationship with the community like. So it's, I, f- I feel like, why are you asking that? <laughs> you know, what, what gives you the sense that there's anything wrong with uh, the relationship between the club and the community? But it's been there for un- over a hundred years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's 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 like that. Can't do that on um, audio podcasts. And I've just to cross my fingers. It's like that. They 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 with each other. And, and um, yeah, I think that you know for the thirteen week period that has been banging and soaring and knocking things down and building things up, um, and the fact that they got a, a, a good proportion of them got the the tickets to the Gillingham game, they would have seen it's well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, thanks to everyone, uh, as I say, that put up with all the knocking and banging and everything else. It is much appreciated uh, by everyone who goes to Kenilworth Road every other week. That's it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks again to the Hightown Club for hosting us uh, this week. Thanks also to Sean Grant and the Wolfgang for our brilliant intro song and to Ed Smith Creative for all the images that you see both on the set and on the podcast uh, itself. As always, please like and share the podcast. And if you haven't already, then please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. The more subscribers we get and the bigger and further we can reach, the better we can make our podcasts for you. Keep your comments coming in, uh, particularly on anything that we've covered in this particular podcast. Uh, If there's anything you'd like us to discuss on future podcasts, particularly these monthly recap ones, let us know and we'll do our best to do that. We will be back ahead of the Fulham game with our Fulham preview podcast and I'm hoping to catch a player for a player podcast ahead of that as well. And we might have another special podcast to bring you to. So do subscribe so that you know when they all drop and you don't miss out on any of the podcasts that we're bringing you on this international break. But uh, for now, well, to be honest, I'm off for an ice bath, James, because it's (laughs) absolutely cooking at the minute. Um, Enjoy the hot weather. Enjoy the international break and we'll be back with you ahead of the Fulham game. So uh, come on, you hatters.